Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. I want to take just a brief second to introduce our preacher to you today. Many of you, most of you probably, have gotten to know Zach already. Um, Zach Kroonquist is our, uh, is our curate here at Redeemer. And so I want to explain a little bit about what a curate is. A curate is um, it, it's an old term. It comes from a word that means to care, uh, to care for the congregation and to be cared for in the process as basically uh, Zach is kind of a priest in training is what he is uh, in, in a lot of ways. And so we have the honor of here at Redeemer of helping develop clergy and leaders, uh, and Zach is, is one of the people that we have the honor to, to walk alongside in that way and to be some of the first to hear him uh, as, he, as he preaches and opens the Word of God, and he gets to do so today in the cathedral for the diocese in front of his bishop uh, as well. So if, if, every now and then, Alan, if you can just close your eyes and just shake your head like this, that would, that would be really encouraging too. Let's, uh, let's pray for Zach. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our brother, Zach. We thank you for the calling that is on his life. We thank you for his passion for you and his love for your word. And we pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he may speak your words directly to our hearts, that we may hear what your spirit wants to say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've never had the opportunity to do this before, but my mom, dad, and grandma and grandpa are all watching on live stream. And since I have the mic, I'm going to say, hi, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. All right. Anyway, I know, I know Dan just prayed, but we're at church. We can pray more than once. So I'm going to pray again. Would you pray with me? Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of Christ sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Well, good morning. It is so good to be up here at Bringing the Word uh, today. I had a lot of fun uh, and, and really some beautiful times of prayer and reflection with the Lord as I was uh, coming up with this sermon. Um, one thing, and this is a secret, so you can't tell anyone, one thing that preachers don't tell you is that the most important part of preaching is the title. You can have great exegesis, good illustrations, you know, a Morgan Freeman-like voice, all of that. But if you don't have a good title, we might as well go home, right? So you'll see I've chosen The Gospel Two-Step as, as my title. Uh, and it was, it was kind of down to two possible titles, this one up here and then The Two-Step Gospel, which I know is so different. Uh, but The Two-Step Gospel sounds like self-improvement or a self-improvement plan. And we're in church. We don't do self-improvement here. So I had to go for this one. But this one screams dance, like dance move, right? Um, and I like dance, so that's not a deal breaker, right? Uh, but I was curious, like, you know, I don't want to do any copyright infringement. So I just had to make sure, is, is there something called the gospel two-step? I went to YouTube and, and just typed it in, the gospel two-step. Um, and here's a few uh, selections uh, that I found. Kieran, you can go ahead and play the first one. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. I heard two-step in one of those videos, but I didn't hear gospel in any of them, so I don't know why those come up. Uh, but it it's just never ceases to amaze me what you can find on the internet. All right, uh, so we're going to dive into the text. We're going to be in the Romans passage uh, that we heard just uh, a few minutes ago. Um, and there's so much that we could pull out of, you know, these eight verses. Um, we could probably do a year-long study if we really wanted to. Um, but we don't have a year. We have 20 minutes or less. Um, and we're just going to have to be okay with not hitting everything. We're going to be mostly in the first two verses there. Uh, before we really uh, pull those verses apart or, or dig into them, just a bit of background on Romans. Uh, this might be a bit of a refresher for some. But it is the first epistle in our New Testament. So the New Testament starts with the Gospel of Matthew. We've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then the book of Acts, uh, which is thought to be a sequel to Luke, and then we have Romans. So it's it's the first one that we get to. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. Um, But despite it being the first epistle, it was probably the last one that Paul wrote. Paul, as you know, um, composed like a third or, or more of the New Testament. We don't know much about the specific people Paul was writing to, other than the fact that they were a nascent uh, Christian community, people trying to follow Jesus and figure out who this Jesus guy was. So aside from the people, uh, we do know a good bit about the place that Paul is writing to. Rome is the center of the Roman Empire, a lot of power, a lot of trading. is a kind of a key point on uh, routes for, for trading and whatnot. And Paul was a missionary, right, for like 20 plus years Uh, that we can discern from the clues that we get in his letters. He founded churches in Galatia and Ephesus, uh, Corinth and Philippi, Thessalonica, all these places. Um, But unlike all those other letters, uh, Paul does not have a prior relationship with the Romans. Uh, He has not uh, been there to plant a church yet. He says in the beginning of the the letter that he wants to get there eventually and see these people, Uh, but he's kind of writing cold, uh, to put it one way. Um, all of that said, Roman is, Romans is also thought to be Paul's kind of masterwork. Um, there's a, some people even call it the gospel according to Paul um, because it's, uh, writing, he's writing to a really prominent place, um, people who would probably be well-educated. He's got to make sure he's got his ducks in a row. He's dotted his I's, crossed his T's. He's got really complex, uh, it kind of convoluted at some point, theological reasoning. It's, it's, it's a whole thing, right? But he's really trying to present the gospel. So we're at chapter 12, which is about three-fourths of the way through the letter. Um, A lot has been said up to this point, Um, and it's important that we understand some of that in order to understand what he's saying in our passage today. So I'm going to take you on a quick little tour of of Romans, Uh, and the reason why I need to do that more specifically is because we have a really important word in verse 1. I appeal to you, brother, I appeal to you, therefore, and whenever I see the word therefore, There's always a little alarm that goes off in my mind, the therefore alarm. You know, you've got to pay attention because whatever came before it is is key to understanding the conclusion that is coming after the word therefore. So if if that's the beginning of our passage, therefore, we're missing all of the stuff that's important for what Paul's about to say. So uh, there's a lot of people who think everything that came before it is relevant. Some people think it's just a few verses that came before it maybe chapters 9 to 11, because there's some important stuff there. We don't really know for sure. Uh, I would say it's probably all of Romans that is relevant to what Paul's saying. So here's your, here's your crash course expedited tour. Um, and just let these words kind of wash over you, because it's such a beautiful kind of presentation of the gospel that Paul has throughout. So Romans 3. 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Romans 8, iconic chapter in this, in this letter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for us. Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Some powerful words, right? I mean, you just hear the gospel just welling up under all of those words. Um, and all of these verses, maybe except for one, there's a word, justification. You say justification? justification. That was lame. Justification. justification. There you go. You heard it. You heard it, right? It's a fancy theological word. It's also a legalistic word. Basically what it means is that all of the charges that were against you or against someone have been wiped away. You've been justified. You've been made right. You're back in right relationship, right? All of us, before Christ, without Christ, every day, every moment of our lives, we are racking up a tab of sin charges, right? You know, you see that person at the bar sometimes, it's like, oh, just put it on my tab. Well, now it's, it's miles long. You can't pay it off. There is not a lawyer in the world who could get your charges cleared. And you heard what these verses said. We were dead in our sins. The wages of sin is death. But Christ Jesus, but Christ Jesus came and because of our baptism into him, our incorporation into him by faith, We've been justified, right? We've been set free. The, the slate has been wiped clean. We have a new life. The old self is off. The new self is on. Anyone think that's good news? That's amazing. Amazing. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, that's so amazing. But I knew that already. Zach, I've heard all of this. Um, and if you're thinking that, you're in good company. Because I kind of felt that way too when I was preparing the sermon. I'm like, yep, I mean... That's what we do as church, right? We remind ourselves of our justification, of our in Christness. In fact, it uh, reminded me of a tweet that I saw several years back. 
Um, I went digging for it online, um, and I found it. So, Kieran, you can put that up. <clears throat> Kieran? <laughs> there it is. I don't know who Jennifer Down is, but she tweeted this. No offense, but what is, like, the point? Are we just supposed to work and buy coffee and listen to podcasts until we die? I'm bored. <laughs> Any of you ever felt like this about life? Like, okay, we just go to work, we pay the bills, like maybe we get two weeks of vacation. La-di-da, you know, it's so great. I, you know, I, sometimes I feel like that. How many of us feel like that in our faith? Like, no offense, but what's like the point? Are we just supposed to go to catechumenate, go to connections, come to church and get a little wafer? Like, what's the point? I'm bored. I mean, that, that exists. That's a, that's a, a heart and, and mind posture that we can have. Um, and I think if we get to that place, um, we, we're starting to get in a little bit of trouble, right? All of those things are true that, that I was just saying in Romans. All of that's true and it's life-giving and it's good. We need to be reminded of it, right? But I think if we just get to this place of like, is that all there is? We're missing We're missing out. We're missing so much more that the Lord has for us. And I think that's what Paul is getting to at his therefore. Before we jump into that, though, we gave you the first part of the gospel two-step. Justification. That's step one. And that's kind of a clunky word. I mean, it's just a lot of syllables. You know, it's, it's just hard to say that. So freed from. It's still two syllables, but it's a little easier. Freed from. That's what justification is, right? We are freed from sin. Old self is gone. So everyone say, freed from. Freed from. Say, I am freed from. I am freed from. Sin. <laughs> Amen. Cool. So some of us might be in this place of, okay, I'm freed from sin. What more could I need? Maybe you're not apathetic, but you're just like, I'm good. I'm, I'll stop here. I don't need to pass go and collect another $200. Um, I would say, no, we've got so much more, and this might even be the better part. Um, Because saying, "Uh, I don't know if I need more, gets us to a place kind of like Peter in our gospel reading today. So right before the passage that Melissa read, um, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. It's literally in the the chunk right before it. Um, Well, it's actually, that was part of the passage that she read. Before that, (laughs) Jesus asks the question, um, who do people say that I am, you know? And the disciples kick around some, some thoughts. Oh, some say Elijah, some say... Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, John the Baptist, you know. Um, And then Jesus is like, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter makes a confession of faith. Well, you're Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, right? I mean, that's a monumental moment. I mean, we have a whole feast day for the confession of St. Peter. Um, And the only reason I know that is because it's on my birthday, January 18th, (laughs) right? So Jesus uh, is, is just pleased with this, that Peter can say that. He says, blessed are you, Simon Peter. And guess what? Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, here you go. Here's the key. I mean, probably wasn't literal keys, but gives him the keys. It says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I mean, this is amazing stuff. No other disciple got, got the keys for the binding and loosing power. But then in our passage, not even six verses later, you know, Peter might have gotten a little big ego, big head or whatever. And, you know, Jesus is like, I got to go die and I'll rise again, you know. And then Peter's like, hold, no. You, may it never be, Lord. Like, you can't, you know. Like, he thinks he's got this all figured out. 
And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. How would that feel to have the Son of God call you Satan and say, get behind me, you're a hindrance to me? So Jesus, or sorry, Peter, in the, in the part right before our passage, was justified, right? He's in a pretty good place with Christ Jesus to be given the keys, to be given the binding and loosing ability. He was, he ha- he was in that relationship with Jesus. Jesus wouldn't do that to a stranger, right? But then he also gets rebuked. So maybe there is something more to this life than just being good with Jesus. And I think if we go back to our Romans text now, we'll see what that is. So important stuff comes before step one of the gospel two-step, justification, freed from. And now we're going to get to part two. Uh, I'm just reading now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There's a lot there. Present your bodies. There's a couple words that Paul could have used for the word body. There is one that means literally just like your, your flesh, like skin and bones, sarks. That's not the word that Paul uses. He uses the word soma, which is more inclusive of your heart, your mind, you know, your emotions and thoughts. And so he's saying, when you present your bodies, I want your whole self. We're not just putting your, your femur and your tibia and your skin over there. No, the whole thing, everything that makes you, you, your personality, your emotions, all of that is what is to be presented as a sacrifice. Now, the presenting of sacrifice is priestly language, right? That sounds like something that a, a priest would do in the, in the Mosaic Covenant, Old Testament. And there's, there's whole laws in the Old Testament that are dedicated to kind of describing and um, saying like what, what's required of these sacrifices. Leviticus 1, if the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. Deuteronomy 15, if an animal has a defect, is lame or blind, or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You can't get the, the runt of the litter. You can't get the one who broke its leg jumping over the fence and give that to the Lord. The Lord wants the prized part of the flock, the best one, the one that you could get like some serious cash with at the market, the best one. And so when we, when we, have, when we see this language of holy and acceptable, this sacrificial language, Paul has said, I want all of you, not just your, not just your physical body, but your, your mind and your soul, and I want it at your best. I don't want you when you're in a crabby mood, when you're mouthing off to your parents. I don't want it when you're getting bad grades and you're eating too many Cheetos. No, I want you at, at top condition. I want you to give me your best. That's what's going on in this, language, in this part here. So we're supposed to be holy and acceptable. Then living, what is that word living? Sacrifice connotes death, right? In the Old Testament, you would bring your prized animal and you'd bring it to the temple or the synagogue and the priest would slaughter it and, and on the altar. And that was your offering to God, right? That was what was uh, thought to atone for your sins in the, in the covenant. So you go and you die for the animal that's being uh, sacrificed. But now, in the new covenant, we all have this priestly role. We're all called to go. We can't just have Dan do our sacrifice for us or Jared. I mean, they would, they would get tired, you know? So no, we're all called to present ourselves and living. So we're going to go there. We're not going to die. We're going to go there alive, and then we're going to leave alive. 
When we come to the altar, we sacrifice ourselves as essentially giving ourselves back to the Lord, body, mind, and soul, saying, Lord, you, you justified me. You freed me from sin. Now I want to give myself back to you as a holy and living sacrifice. And you become more alive at that altar, right? You become more alive. Next part of the, the verse. Um, this is your spiritual worship. The words that's translated spiritual, I would say is a bad translation. It's much better translated reasonable or logical. This is your logical worship. This is your reasonable worship. All of the things that have come before that we've just gone over, you've been justified. You've been set apart. You've been freed from all your sin. You are a new person. If that's true, Siri, if that's true, the reasonable response of of just that cosmic love that has totally taken you up and, and turned you into something new is to offer yourself back to the Lord. It's not, it's not like something you have to do. I'm not going to say it's required. I'm not going to say you better go offer yourself to, to Jesus. Because have-to language always implies earning. And salvation is it's free. It is not earned. Right? Salvation is a free gift, unmerited favor. You and I cannot improve on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, that was final. And that is given, to, given for us, given to us. And, and in the reality of Jesus's, if the reality of Jesus' saving work on the cross, his triumphant resurrection and glorious ascension has really hit us, if it's penetrated deep into our hearts, the logical outworking, the logical response is to offer this kind of sacrifice that Paul's talking about. And we're all, like I said, all called to do this. And I would say we all get to do this. Next verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And that first verse that we were just doing, it was bodies, present our bodies. And now Paul is talking about our minds. Not conformed, but yes, transformed. And there's something in our minds that's going on with this. If we look at those two words, conformed, transformed, uh, we have con, uh, which means with, and then we have trans, which means across or beyond. And there's a really important reason why Paul wants to focus on thoughts or our minds, which is the realm of our thoughts. And that is because feeling and doing are utterly insufficient foundations for the Christian life. Right? I don't feel like doing that. I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work. If, if, that's, if, if that's at the base of our life and our faith, it's pretty faulty. To be sure, God is not against feeling and doing. Quite the contrary. We see all over scripture that God is a God of powerful and compassionate feeling. And he commands us to be doers of the word, right? But the first questions we ponder at the bedrock and foundation of our Christian life cannot be, how do I feel about it? Or or what do I do, right? We don't earn, right? And our feelings are fleeting. They change, they float. The first and foundational question should always be, what is true? What does God say about this? So back to that word conformed, it's talking about something that's malleable. I think of like silly putty or Play-Doh. It can change from day to day, year to year. The person who's conformed to this world is free to embrace the next popular philosophy or fad at will. 
being conformed to this world is like being a leaf blowing in the wind, right? You never really know where you're going next and why. The word that's translated transformed, right, across, beyond, new form altogether. Old self is gone, freed from. New self is here, transformed. Transformed has this uh, connotation of, of, a, of a change that happens at the core of our being. So if conformed makes us like a, a leaf blowing around, transformed leaves us with feet on the ground, anchored, steady. Paul doesn't want us to be caught up in, in every fad or every breeze, but instead wants the Spirit to transform us so that we can have our feet on the ground, have faith strong enough to maintain course despite the winds of popular opinion. There's only one other place that that word transformed is used, and it's when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. So all of this conformed, transformed, reveals the second step of the gospel two-step, and that's sanctification, which is another fancy theological term that means holiness, growth into holiness, growth into, into Christ-likeness. So just as we did a little easier one for justification, do you remember? Freed from, some people are listening, that's great. We're freed from, the next step, freed for. We're freed for a new life in Christ. We're freed for walking in the Spirit. We are freed for a good works that help our neighbors. We're freed for this abundance that God yearns to give us. Like Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Sanctification is not only a duty, I would say, not an earning duty, but just something that we logically do, but it's also a delight. It is our highest calling woven together with our deepest joy. It should constitute the greatest proportion of our life of faith. We never graduate from this step of being freed from. We need to ask God daily to wipe our slate clean, to remind us of who we are in him. Yet, most of the day, we get to be walking in this freed forness that God has, constantly transforming ourselves by the renewing of our minds. This is no somber march. It's a radiant dance. And here, I'm going back to the dance thing. It's a radiant dance in the glorious presence of the king. In this sacred journey towards Christ-likeness, we are not dragging our feet through a barren desert. This, God doesn't want to take anything from you. He has things for you, right? So it's not going through a desert, but it's skipping through a blooming meadow filled with the fragrance of God's grace. In sanctification, in this freed forness, we find that each step we take closer to Christ is a step into greater freedom, into fuller life. We aren't constrained by a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, we're captivated by the beauty of a God who is so holy, so loving, that his very nature becomes ours. That, uh, and his love becomes our anthem. When you make the daily decision to say, Lord, I'm going to step into that freedom, that freedom that you have given for me, you're not losing anything of value. You're not going to be worse off. You're gaining everything that truly matters. This transformation isn't a burden. It's a joyous unfolding like a sunflower, turning its face toward the sun, absorbing light and radiating beauty. How does this work? What is the application of this? Time in scripture. What are we filling our minds with? Paul is saying here that this transformation starts in the mind. 
So what are, we, what are we putting in our mind? Daily time in the Word. And the Word is Jesus, right? Coming to worship. And I, I totally screwed this up at the last service. But you come over to the altar, and what does the priest say at this, at, when doing the Eucharist? Um, a lot of th- the priest says a lot of things. But <laughs> one of the things the priest says is, we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, our freed fromness, O Father, with this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. We offer gifts of bread and wine, and we offer the gifts of ourselves. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit and sanctify us, right? What's happening here is a living sacrifice that allows us to become more alive in Christ. So last thing, and I'm wrapping up here. Back to the dance move thing we talked about at the beginning. While I really did enjoy some of the dance moves that I saw in that little montage, um, I think there's a more accurate picture of what the gospel two-step looks like. So Kieran, I'll have you show that now. Just as a child dances atop her father's shoes, unburdened by the steps because she trusts the path that she's on, she trusts the the man that is holding her and guiding her, we too can find our footing in the grace of Jesus Christ. He takes our hand. He leads us in this intricate dance of life, a blend of justification, sanctification, freed fromness, freed forness. We're not mere passengers. We're not puppets, right? We have, we're active dancers. We are participating with the Lord. We're free to add our own flourish, our own unique steps under the gentle guidance of his loving hand. And so, brothers and sisters, as we leave this place today, let us carry the image of that divine dance in our hearts. Let the rhythmic beats of grace accompany our steps and the music of the Holy Spirit fill our souls. While we move with purpose and conviction, let us never forget that Jesus is holding our hand every step of the way. We don't graduate from from his presence. We don't move on. We don't ever get to a point where we don't need him. Even though we grow up, the Father was still there. He is leading us, teaching us, sanctifying us, ushering us into that beautiful, abundant life of freedom. This is the true gospel two-step, I would submit to you. A dance of freed from, freed for, a dance that intertwines the divine and the human, a dance of endless grace that never ceases. Amen.